This is Jason Cast. This is Scott Nearman. We are MP Local, where we want you to know that you are not alone. I tell you what, Scott, this business is not easy. It has its own unique challenges. This is not about bottom line only. This is not about profit only. We're about mission and changing communities in the nonprofit world. And that is why we started this podcast called MP Local. Hey, 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 welcome to MP Local Podcast, where you are not alone. My name is Jason. And this is Scott. And we are here for you. Scott, I am happy to be back. How are you, dude? Great, great. Good to see you again. I think this is episode five, six, four. I don't know. (laughs) Who's counting? That's right. Because, dude, I got to tell you, I mean, we have now started to get some feedback. And when we start getting feedback, people will, will reference parts of the show. And so that makes me i'm not a big podcast listener all 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 just truth be known but i go back to those certain ones when i hear and we get emails or executives saying i didn't know this or hey you guys need to expound on this and so um i really enjoyed this little short podcast we're doing don't you how about you scott oh yeah i think it's just the right amount of time and these busy uh local listeners can tune in as they eat a sandwich at the lunch hour that's my analogy i think you know as they're making their commute to work uh, i think we're doing something that's helpful and hopefully that feedback is going to verify that for us as we listen to our our followers that's right and we we want you to know that you're not alone and let's get right into that because what we do is we talk about things that maybe need to be improved maybe need to be removed but also the things that are hard and today we're going to talk about engaging your board and and i mean at the end of the day they're the ones that are kind of in charge and they are the ones that we need to understand the vision and we also need them to lead Scott, sure. how do they engage the board? Give us the lowdown. Why is this important in the foundation that you run? Well, absolutely. The board is legally responsible. In fact, they have some legal duties that we can talk about in the next episode and maybe get some board members to tune in or our listeners can bring their board chair. Uh, but it's really on the staff to engage the board, right? These are volunteers, unlike the corporate setting where they're paid board members and otherwise incentivized to to show up in most cases as a business owner or a stockholder. Uh, but that's not what it is in the in the nonprofit world, right? These are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so you need to follow a lot of the volunteer management principles that, uh, uh, that you would do for any volunteer, even though that nonprofit executive director feels like this is my boss, right? The board hired me and the board can fire me. But in reality, it's still on that director to be sure the board has the information they need, the structure they need, uh, and, and meaning behind what they're doing to, um, to do their jobs. You're right. You're right. And so some of the things that you talk about, there's basically three basic tips and we'll dive into these over the next 15 minutes. And those three basic tips you talk about are communicate, structure, making it fun and meaningful. I'm always about number three. I like making it fun and meaningful because that just to me helps build my you don't say. You know, no, you would never have known that. But help us on communicate. What are these three basic tips? There's obviously other things, but we can start from a high level here. Yeah, and I think those are a quick takeaway for our listeners today. Um, And I put communicate even before structure, okay? When you're recruiting board members, when you are 
um, going through the day-to-day and you need to keep them updated on happenings. One of the things I do with my board is uh, try to send a periodic email update. And I've got some board members that are busy. They're traveling all the time. You know, they're still in the working world. And they say, Scott, can you boil it down to some cliff notes, some some dot points? And and so I try to be succinct. How often do you send that, Scott? Well, it really depends on the workload and when our quarterly meetings are. But uh, really, I try to do it at least monthly, if not about every other week. Wow, that's 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 big right there. That's something that I wouldn't think about necessarily. But you know, internally in my own business, I have connections and contact with my own clients, right? right? My own staff. So that makes sense. I like communicate before structure. That makes sense. So you got to keep them informed, okay? Or they can't do their job. And so some of the things that I think we need to be communicating, aside from the the day-to-day operations, which really the staff is in charge of. Um, but what is their role when you're onboarding a new board member? What is the proper role? What are your expectations for your organization, which could be somewhat different than the next nonprofit down the road? Yeah. Do you have quarterly meetings? Do you have semi-annual meetings? Do you have monthly meetings? How many of those are they expected to attend? 50% or more? 75%? And at what point do your bylaws say you're going to remove them or, or ask them to step aside if they're not attending? Um, there's also expectations such as giving, right? You want board members who have your uh, charity, your nonprofit, among their top three to five concerns and their top three causes, for example. Maybe the, maybe the church is number one in many cases, but after that, who do they really care about and who are they giving to? Now, that doesn't mean yeah. that, in my opinion, that every board member needs to be a major giver, but they need to be a giver. You need 100%. True giving and so that's or that's one of their leading causes and if it's obviously a leading cause uh, even the bible says we put our 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 money where our heart is so that makes sense totally does didn't think about that and then you know i talk about um uh happenings and and operations but um really you need to communicate not only the day-to-day but what are the big governance issues what are those issues that are um that are so important that the board may have to take action in the future. You want them to be digesting a complex issue. Uh, you want them to be understanding some of the detail behind it that you may not cover in a 10 minute conversation at the board level when it comes time to make that decision. What do they need to understand as things evolve? Uh, we can't always as staff predict where a situation is gonna uh, conclude or, or how it's gonna end up. And so keeping them informed during the happenings in real time, I think it's like a, it's like a, these are donors, right? Right. It's how you would engage a donor for fundraising as well. In some senses, you know, they're voluntarily giving of time or money and you want to touch them. We talk in terms in fundraising and donor touches. How many times are you going to touch them in the course of the year? 16 times might be, you know, uh, 14 times too many or or 12 times too many, but depending upon how close they are to your organization, you need to do something at least um, two to three, four times a year uh, and with your major contributors and board members who are closer. They're in that inner circle, right, of that of that constituency or that bullseye we talked about previously. Um, they're closest to your organization. You're going to keep in touch with them a lot more. Well, and also your donors being around the board members, you just feel as if like, hey, this is a board member. It comes with prestige. One of the things also I want to, I don't want to back up, but I just want to add to what you said with roles because you really got my brain thinking here is that a lot of times nonprofits um, that I've got part of and others, they will look for people that um, are big in the community, right? Somebody who has a lot of pull or influence, influence. Yeah. someone who's a big donor, right? 
But I'm also why you broke, why you um, made me think there, Scott, is that what's more important is finding somebody that besides the church, this is their second cause. This is what they do. This is their passion. Right. This is where they put their money. They could be a nobody. They could be a no name. And that person has so much more value than that head banker or in town or doctor or whatever you may want to put on, right? Well, you, yeah, you bring a couple of good points to mind. And, and one of those, I mean, it goes for board members and major contributors. Uh, you and I are both from a small community, uh, rural, relatively rural, mm -hmm. farmland, uh, all around. And, um, you know, oftentimes in a small community, you can count on one hand the folks who are really financing so many good things in that community, True. whether it's through a community foundation or whether it's through your large institutions, hospitals, colleges, um, uh, large uh, community churches and, and those who are engaged in the community. Um, and so they are strapped for time. Uh, now I like to say busy people get more done and those may be exactly the folks you want on your board. But if it's a big car corporation, you know, largest uh, entity in town, for example, they may need to delegate. The CEO may not have time to serve on one more board, but you may get a real gem in their CFO. You may get a real prize in that community relations representative that has the time to be more involved. Yeah. So whether they're representing that level of influence um, or the, the resources that, that they represent or whether they are, uh, you know, caring about your organization, I believe you need a mix of all of that. You know, those who are more passionate, they're, they're not necessarily there for business reasons, yeah. are going to inspire the others. Um, and those who are there for business reasons, you know, they maybe even have a vested interest in ensuring your success. That's right. So, uh, And here, here's the thing that I want to end with that before we go over to structure is you talk about small rural communities and you talk specifically about where we're from. I like to call it America's Kitchen. That's what we call it here in the Midwest. <laughs> A lot of people on the coasters, some of you guys listed on the East Coast or West Coast, you say that this is flyover country. I like to call it America's <laughs> Kitchen. That's what we like to call it. So tell us about That's structure. Right. And you know communication before we go on is important because I heard someone say one time, which I think is pretty smart, that 95% of all the world's problems are because of lack of or miscommunication. So it's not ironic that you started with that being number one. Number two on to structure, brother. So structure, you know, is that, uh, I mean, it's just what it says there. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the ways a nonprofit is structured and the board governs that structure, right? Aside from the IRS code, the board sets their own bylaws, yeah. the board it's policy. And those things provide, uh, I don't know, I think of it as a uh, bumper bowling. You know, I used to be decent at bowling, Jason, but, uh, you know, there was a time and my kids still need that bumper lane from time to time. You know, that's how you were, good, so, Scott, if you want to get be good again, put the play with the kids in the bumper lane. Now you got to figure this out. <laughs> Come on, Scott. Uh, yeah. But hey, so, so real quick, though, on these bylaws, do do is it normal that boards uh, and organizations change their bylaws regularly? Well, it's important that they're reviewed regularly yeah. every year or every other year. That doesn't mean that there's a change needed. Okay. Uh, usually you will need to. Um, uh, send those changes to the state. Uh, and so, you know, you probably don't want to be updating those every year, uh, but you, they do need to be reviewed. And, 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 you know, this is something when we talk about starting a nonprofit, um, gosh, they're starting every day in this country, um, that a good attorney should be able to help with what passes state scrutiny. And also, um, you know, did, did the board actually, the founding board members actually think about 
how they want this thing to evolve because you don't want to go back to the state all the time be changing these things. That, that's right. And some other best practices and something I've always wondered as I write a lot of directors and officers and EPLI, the question always gets asked is how many board members are there and how are their terms? Uh, are they staggered? Are they congruent with each other? How are they brought on? Are they appointed? Are they voted on? And I've right. always wondered, like, give us some best practices, Scott, for for Maybe one's not better than the other, but what do you see out there? Well, there's definitely two schools of thought, I would say, with regard to, for example, uh, board rotation or term limits. Um, uh, I'm familiar with uh, with different models, and one of them is the board simple the board members simply renew every year. There's no staggering. Um, you've got a strong board. You've got all the right people on that board. They represent your area. They represent the constituents you serve, and you'd like to keep them around as long as, as possible. Now, I believe, you know, even good folks like that who this is their number one or number two cause, um, they're giving, maybe even at a major level, I, I believe they might deserve a break from time to time. Right. We don't want to take advantage of our closest friends. And so you want your nonprofit to be strong enough to always have that pipeline, that nominating committee pipeline of names and leaders and, and supporters that can serve for a term or two and give some of these folks a break. Um, now, you don't want to lose them. You know, you may create something in your bylaws, such as an advisory committee that um, or an emeritus for longstanding retired board members that may help them um, uh, with less of a time commitment. Um, I had a board member not all that long ago that uh, that didn't want to drive at night and we had evening meetings. And so when it was winter, um, those meetings, you know, you'd be driving back in the dark. And, and as as eyesight changed and things like that, they uh, didn't want to do that anymore. And so that's certainly understandable. And we had another title and, and I still uh, in normal times without coronavirus, I would see that uh, that gentleman on a weekly basis at Rotary Club. Uh, so. You know, there's a lot of schools of thought. The other one is is really promoted by organizations such as Board Source. Um, you know, the premier uh, board governance uh, uh, research entity that that I go to a lot. But they have a website called BoardEffect.com. Okay. I really encourage folks to read that blog and and check out the free resources there. But they do talk in terms of a best practice being term limits and rotating. Uh, maybe two terms of three years each. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's huge. No one's probably ever read that. We probably had her heard it, but your expertise really drives home the fact that it's real and it's true, not only just in your education, Scott, but uh, the the real life experiences that you're bringing to these conversations are fantastic. Let's talk about something real fast that's a big, big part of our society today, and it happens to be diversity on these boards. There's a lot of concern. Yeah. I just recently sure. saw um, that uh, uh, Governor Newsom out in California now, these were for, I believe, public boards and public corporate right. boards, I believe. But this is just only the beginning to say that you had to have so many minorities. They passed a law a couple years ago that said that they had to have at least one woman on there. Um, please, all you listeners, please don't hold me exactly to this, but I'm pretty close. And now they're saying you have to have at least two or three minorities, I believe, on that board. So this is something that maybe starts at a high level, but it's going to trickle down. And maybe somebody's listening to this in 2023 or 2025, and it's an issue now. Well, how are you guys dealing with that right now? It's actually an active topic uh, where I'm at now. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, I think every nonprofit probably has some work to do in that area. Uh, depends on your your geography. Depends on the constituents you serve. Uh, I would say uh, if if what you say in California is uh, 
only requiring uh, one woman, I think they're falling short in that yeah, area. And I could be, I'd be wrong with that, but yes. We, you know, we're roughly 50-50, men and women. And so um, uh, I have a female board chair currently, and I know that, that uh, we want to increase uh, the number of women and the number of minorities on our board currently. And so these are things we talk about, and I've been talking about uh, for as long as I've been there, but um, uh, it's time to stop talking and, and do. In the nonprofits I see, there's two courses of action. It's hiding it and acting like it's not affecting us and no one cares right. about it, or it's proactively attacking it. That's that reactive, proactive, and and uh, that's some good sure. stuff. And if anybody wants to talk, if anybody ever wants to reach out, Scott, where can they reach out to you if this is a diversity thing and they're saying, I need some insight and help in getting this going in my where, – where do they reach out to you at? Yeah, Nearman Coaching and Consulting has a website. It's just my name, scottnearman.com. Uh, reach out to me there or email okay. nearmancoaching at gmail.com. Okay. And, and so that's really important. And I want you guys to remember that. Use him as a resource. Go ahead. One, one more thing. Uh, I would just say it's also important to think about um, other forms of diversity on your boards. I think a lot of times when folks start a nonprofit, they, they get their friends and family on there. And you need to think about diversity of skill set. Uh, I work for an organi organization now that serves 10 counties or more. I, I like to joke that as I got around and learned the organization my first year on the job, um, I, I put a new set of tires on my car uh, the year after that. And, you know, so there was a lot of miles, a lot of time on the road. And this, this area is larger than a congressional district uh, where we are. And so uh, it's important that uh, you think in terms of geographic representation, you think in terms of having an attorney, a CPA, um, you know, and others who can, a financial advisor, folks who, insurance, like, like your cool. industry, mm -hmm. so that uh, we have that skill set and you've got your resident expert um, right there in your meetings, understanding the operations and the issues at hand. You know what, Scott, we're going to go ahead and make this into a two-part series because we want to keep it at the 20 minutes or right, right around there. So I do appreciate you going with this. So um, all you listeners out there, we uh, believe that you're a local listener, and we hope that one day we can call you a loyal local listener. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we've talked about the three tips, uh, and we, there was communicate structure, making it fun and meaningful. Uh, making it fun and meaningful is the same thing, but it's actually pretty thick. So we're going to stop right here, and we're going to bring it back. So if you still have a long time for your lunch hour, you can hit play on the next one and continue right in. But for some of you that have that short time, that was our little nugget that we tried to deliver to you. Scott, you want to say anything to wrap it up? I just want to encourage the, the directors out there and our local listeners that uh, uh, engaging your board doesn't have to be scary. This is important. It's very important. Probably one of the most important things you do. I'd advocate to those boards that every executive director needs an administrative assistant that understands board and donor relations. Um, this is this is a lot to keep up with. Um, you know, you may have five member board, a nine member board, a 25 member board, and every relationship is important. So especially if you have all those different skill sets, you need to understand the resources that your members bring to the table. So uh, take time for this. It's very important to meet with your board members one on one at least once a year. Uh, keep those committees informed, keep the meeting schedules as one of your most important things. It gives you that timeline and accountability to get things done. You got to report it at the next meeting. I use that a lot, Jason. You know, you got a, you got a deadline coming up. You're going to get it done. Uh, so yeah. something you had to get bids for or uh, a donor you needed to talk to, you need to get it done and go back and, and report that uh, as applicable. That's why we do what we do, because we do it for you. This has been Jason Cass and Scott Nearman. 
And we just want you to know and always forget that you are not alone and we are here for you. This has been Jason Cass and that's Scott Nearman. We're MP Local and we are out.